Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. It's Monday, December 31st. I'm your host, Jason Moser. On today's show, we're going to jump right in with some bold predictions for 2019, courtesy of my main man here, certified financial planner, Matt Frankel, who happens to be joining me today on Skype. Matt, you're recovering from this busy holiday season? I am. I still have family in town, actually. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's I guess you know that's the blessing and the curse, right? Uh, certainly, it uh, it's always nice to have family in town, but it's just a little bit. Those are expectations that you have to live up to, Matt. You cannot miss expectations when it comes to family in town. <laughs> yeah, it's true. All so right, it's a little. It's always makes for a hectic time. It does, it does, but a good time and one you always remember. Uh, yes, so it fun. is the last day of the year uh, before we ring in 2019. We thought it would be a great idea today uh, to go back to a piece here that you wrote recently for Fool.com, Matt. This was something you published on December 17th. It's called Five Bold Predictions for the Stock Market in 2019. I thought it would be fun to go ahead and and run through each of these five. You know, give us give us a take uh, on why you think these bold predictions will come to fruition. So let's just jump right in here. Bold prediction number one, Matt. You're saying the trade war will come to an end. Yeah, I just. I feel like the the fears of an ongoing trade war have been a little overblown, and not only that, but I China stands to lose just as much, if not more, than we do by this dragging on past the recently extended deadline, um, which is actually coming up in not that long from now. Um, and our president, more than any that I can remember, uses kind of views the stock market as a barometer of his his success. Um, I don't. I mean. All presidents in my lifetime have cared about what the market's doing, cared about the economy, but I don't remember any, you know, bragging about the stock market <laughs> as a kind of barometer of success. So the president knows that the trade war is kind of putting a damper on the stock market. So I think that the two sides will come to some sort of agreement um, on, especially the inter- issues like like IP theft and things like that, pretty early on in the year. And I think that'll be a big boost for the market and you know the overall just economic climate and the volatility of the market in 2019. Okay, so I think that's I, 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 I'm with you there. I hope that is the case. I hope they, they do uh, come to a, come to a deal here. And, and I think that in in that perspective, that is a positive catalyst for the market in 2019. But we get a bold prediction number two here, Matt, and I feel like if Prediction number one is a catalyst uh, to the upside. Your bold prediction number two might not be uh, quite quite the same. And and you think that the Fed will raise interest rates? Not a surprise there. But but you're saying you think the Fed will raise interest rates not just once or twice, but even more. Yeah, I, I get this is not a very popular prediction. <laughs> Especially like the other with one. what's going on right now. I mean, the, the back and forth here, it seems like the market over these past couple of weeks has really been moving on not only this this uh, call from the Fed, they, they, they're going to you know bump rates maybe twice, but sort of the sentiment the, the behind how they're saying what they're saying. I mean, wow, you think more than twice, that could be a problem, right? Well, we gotta, you got to understand that based on the latest um, – 
the uh, dot plot that's released at the end of the last Fed meeting, six out of the the board of the uh, FOMC directors still think that we're going to have three rate hikes. So I'm not alone in this projection. Okay. But having said that, I get that this is not popular, especially among the president. <laughs> um, but the the numbers kind of justify this. When other than the trade war, which is causing some uncertainty, remember I'm predicting that the trade war ends pretty soon. Um, unemployment is still extremely low. Um, I mean, inflation's right at the Fed's target. The economy is strong. I have a feeling this holiday shopping season is going to be a monster for retail and pretty much anyone selling something. So I think that the market, the economy is doing better than, you know, most people are giving it credit for. If the trade war ends, like I'm predicting it will, I think the Fed will justifiably raise interest rates a few times in 2019. I'm saying a minimum of two. I'm guessing three. So I guess that that's a bold prediction. Bold <laughs> predictions are bold predictions mean that they're not, you know, they're, they're not they're consensus. Not certain. Right. You're going so, against the grain. I'm definitely going against the grain on this one. But I, like I said, I think the the economy is better than the market seems to be giving it credit for. Yeah, I tend I tend to agree actually, and I think one of the things I've been uh, noting here, and I've said it a few times, is that there with all of the volatility that's come from this interest rate talk and whatnot, uh, you know, the, the there are a lot of good businesses out there, and they are really good businesses regardless of the interest rate policy that is making the headline uh, on any given day. So I think it's always worth remembering. I mean, while the reality is that. Some of this Fed talk will certainly move markets on any given day, and we can't really predict how or when. Uh, but but that really does play into why we invest the way we do business focused investing because these good businesses transcend headlines like these. They 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 they're going to be good businesses next year and the year after. And and uh, you know this volatility, if anything, maybe it gives you an opportunity to add some of those really good businesses. Uh, so certainly something worth keeping in mind. And in speaking of adding to good businesses, I like your bold prediction three here. Uh, you think that bank stocks will stage a big comeback, right? And this is actually building on my first two predictions. I'm to be perfectly clear, I'm not predicting that the market will necessarily have a great year in 2019. The bear market could continue for a little while, but banks, if I'm right that the Fed goes ahead and pulls the trigger on some more interest rates. I see that translating into higher profits on banks. I think the long end of the yield curve is well overdue for a move. Um, and a lot of banks are just trading at like fire sale valuations right now. Um, Goldman Sachs, as everyone knows, is one of my favorites, is trading for less than 80% of its book value. That the That's where it was trading during the financial crisis. Wow. So... There are some absurdly low valuations right here. Bank of America is another one that's trading for less than book value now, um, even after all of its improvements over the past few years. And the, the earnings boost that all these banks have gotten from tax reform, they're still trading at these low, low valuations right now. Um, even some of our favorite small caps, uh, Axos Financial, um, formerly Bank of Internet, is another one um, that's trading for an extremely low low price relative to where it's been over the past couple of years. So I think that the correction in banks has been way overdone. Um, I think if if we get interest rates, it's going to be, there's a ton of upside potential. But I think even without that, that banks are just, you know, pricing in way too much economic weakness. 
I tend to agree with you there. I think that, I mean, we talked about this a lot throughout the year, is these higher interest rate environments ultimately are opportunities for banks to make more on the profit side of the business, right? I mean, that can that can help their profitability. Um, and so, I mean, it, it does seem like a lot of these banks at this point uh, are, are trading with, with sort of some pretty pessimistic outlooks. And I, and I guess I understand that in the near term. But but really, I mean, over the long haul, you know, I mean, these are financial institutions. It's they're facilitating the movement of that money uh, all over all over the country, all over the world. And uh, yeah, I, I think you made a really good point on the valuations. There is that's that's you, you need to be keeping an eye on these banks when they hit those valuations. They don't quite make a lot of sense. And um, even if even if that interest rate policy carries on through 2020 and 21. I mean, you're still looking at the long-term case making making sense for a lot of these banks. And, um, and yeah, I mean, hey, when we get to one to watch later on in the show, I, I think uh, you'll like you'll like what I'm calling out for 2019. Um, all right, bold prediction number four, Apple will become the largest U.S. company once again. Yeah, um, Apple's just a great business that's been absolutely clobbered lately. Um, it, it's down, I think, something like thirty. No, more than thirty percent from its its highs right now. Um, you remember Warren Buffett's been loading up on Apple. He's been doing that for a reason. Yeah, it's because the business is great, not because this next quarter or holiday iPhone sales or whatever are going to be great. Which, first of all, I think holiday iPhone sales are going to come in ahead of expectations. You think? Um, I do. Um, I think that the third quarter numbers or what, uh, whichever. Apple's fiscal quarter was, right. but the calendar third quarter's numbers were were weak and or not great because the, the new iPhone is at a much higher price point than previous models. So, in my kind of my thesis in that is that this is more of a you know a Christmas gift item than just a run out and buy because it just came out item. So, I have a feeling that the holiday numbers are going to be a little better than expected for Apple. But regardless of what the holiday numbers come out to be. I think that you know, I mean, with Apple's cash cash flow, they're buying back tons of stock right now. Um, they're attracting the attention of some big investors, notably Warren Buffett, who has said he would he would love to own the entire company if he could afford it. <laughs> Even after the recent correction, that's not going to happen. But <laughs> yeah, it's still a big. I one. wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if Buffett's buying billions and billions of dollars worth of Apple this quarter um, to add to his already enormous position. Um, but it's a great business. I've never, I can't name any other business whose customers are as loyal as they are to Apple. Um, that's without the big growth in the service business. That's just going to make the whole ecosystem even stickier. Um, and just this drop because it was triggered by one quarter's worth of guidance and the decision to stop reporting product level sales figures is crazy to me, um, especially since the business is generally doing great. So I think it's going to catapult back to the the trillion dollar market cap pretty quickly. Yeah, I think you're right, and it's it's amazing how quickly that move uh, down came. I mean, in August, I think it was in August of of uh, this year, it it hit that one trillion dollar market cap, surpassed it, and and I mean, in in short order, I mean, along with everything else, is pulled back. I mean, this this now it's it's around a seven hundred and fifty billion dollar company, which. Um, I mean that is just a tremendous move in a short period of time for a business that really is doing well in in virtually every regard. And to your point about uh, about the iPhones and Christmas items, I mean, 
you know, we, we our girls got their first iPhones this Christmas, so we we gave them or Santa gave them a couple of iPhone uh, 6s, which were a great entry level phone for them, uh, reasonable cost, and so I think it's good that they're keeping a lot of those older models still out there uh, in the market because uh, you know, hey, my wife and I even upgraded to that uh, that new 10, uh, the 10R here recently, and I don't know, you know, it's it's okay. There's some things I'm not all that big big of a fan of uh, in regard to it, but you know, by far and away the biggest um, the biggest point for me with this new phone is that I've now got a phone where the battery can last all day again. Um, so you know, if 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 they're able to just keep on making the battery better, then I think they'll keep people coming back for more. And you're right, that's a very loyal user base. So I would not see I would not be surprised to see Apple um, pick back a lot of that. A lot of those losses in in no time at all. Um, all right, number five, uh, final bold prediction for 2019. Warren Buffett will buy something big. I mean, I don't think there's any problem. Everybody probably gets out there. Yep, he's going to buy something. But you think he's going to buy something big? Tell us a little bit yeah, about that. Yeah, and I'll make this a very bold prediction. I think this is going to be. He's going to make his biggest acquisition to date in 2019. I think the biggest one so far was what precision cast parts, a little over 20 billion dollars. Um, he's got over a hundred billion dollars sitting in cash, not including whatever cash flows coming in during the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. So, and he likes to have about 20 billion in reserves. So he's got about 80 billion dollars to spend. A market that's gotten a whole lot cheaper. So I think he's and and I mean this. Buying something big could mean he puts fifty billion dollars into Apple. Yeah, but yeah. so that I mean, I would consider that a big acquisition, quote unquote, um, for Warren Buffett. But just to kind of give you an idea, um, and I mentioned this in the article, Buffett has enough, or Berkshire has enough cash, not including the twenty billion dollars Buffett wants to keep, to buy a company like like Lowe's or Caterpillar <laughs> with just the cash that it already has, that's and that's not to mention. Uh, Berkshire's sky-high credit rating <laughs> that allows it to borrow money at virtually nothing. Yeah, um, I th- Charlie Munger estimated that Berkshire could make a $150 billion acquisition with no problem if it wanted to. And now that valuations have come back down to earth a bit, I could really see that happening in 2019. It's been a while since they've made a big acquisition. Buffett has mentioned that he would love to make a big acquisition, more so than you know buying back stock or just buying common stock. He wants to own a whole company. So I think that 2019 is the year that this is finally going to happen. I think you're going to see a big acquisition of some sort from Berkshire. I man, I I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that. I mean, you're right. He's got the he's got the resources between the between the cash on the balance sheet, the credit rating of the company and you know, hey, listen, listen, I mean, he can issue stock whenever he wants to. I mean, they've got a lot of different ways to do whatever they want to do and and uh, I'm sure he's probably looking at that and thinking, "Hey, you know what? Maybe his Time is a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit on the shorter end for him and Charlie, unfortunately. So maybe they're looking to really uh, make something happen in here in 2019. All right, I, I like those five. I'm going to come up with one bold prediction for you, Matt, and this is going to this is going to uh, relate to our finance world that we cover here on on Industry Focus Financials, and it's also going to tie into your bold prediction number four about Apple. I'm going to make the bold prediction here that in 2019, Apple is going to acquire. You ready, Matt? Go for it. Square. 
Apple really? is going to acquire Square in 2019. Now, let's be clear. Like we said, bold prediction means you're not going consensus. You're saying something that's you know kind of nutty. And do I really think this is going to happen? Well, maybe not. But hey, let's throw a caution to the wind here and think about why that might happen. Think about some of the similarities there with Apple and, and, and uh, Square. I mean, Square, much like Apple, has a reputation for making very slick hardware that's easy to use, that people really like and are loyal to. Um, and, and not to mention the fact that Square, like Apple, has done a very good job in developing a, a software ecosystem built around what customers want, what their what their merchant customers want, whether it's in restaurants or retail or or whatever. I mean, they've got everything from payroll to taxes and inventory management. So I think that you know one of the things missing from Apple's business model, particularly as they make this move over to the services side of the world, is they're missing that really nice, sticky, consistent sort of revenue stream that payments offer. And man, I bet you they think there'd be an interesting opportunity out there with a company like Square that today, I mean, you know, with the market pulling back the way it has, I mean, as of this taping, Square's around a $22, $23 billion company. I mean, Apple could easily acquire it, um, you know, and just, just, hey, buy the company and let Jack keep on doing what he's doing. I, and hey, listen, it wouldn't shock me at all to see it happen. I think that Apple's looking for new ways to put their money to work. And you and I, I think, both agree that payments are a great space. That's true. Apple's been trying to get into payments. They have the Apple Pay Cash person-to-person app. They could integrate that with Square Cash pretty easily. And by, wasn't um, some of Apple's or um, Square's original hardware developed to work with the iPad? Yeah, I mean that's that's the other thing is you can see you see everywhere you go if a you know merchants using Square. I mean they flip over that thing where you can confirm the purchase and add a tip and whatever. I mean their their hardware. It seems like was built for Apple equipment, and I mean, it just there. There's so many, there's so many similarities there. It just seems like they would be, seems like they would be two companies that would work very well together. But I mean, hey, I guess we'll see. I mean, I guess really selfishly, I hope it doesn't happen because as a Square owner, I mean, I'd like to see this company uh, grow on its own. I mean, I think there's a multi-bagger opportunity there, uh, but it wouldn't shock me if Apple uh, wasn't at least kicking the tires on that thing and. and Trying to figure out a way to bring them into their family, so I guess yeah, 2019 will will tell us all we need to know in, in regard to our bold predictions, Matt. Uh, okay, let's jump into a couple of questions from Twitter here to wrap up the year. We had one question. Speaking of Square, uh, a a question from Twitter at the Animal Two Three uh, tweeted us and wanted to see if we could elaborate. Uh, on the benefits and our thoughts on Square reapplying for the bank charter, and you know Square, we know they applied for a bank charter a while back. They withdrew that application just for procedural reasons. They didn't feel like they were quite ready for it. Uh, they have reapplied for this bank charter. Matt, what did you what did you see here? What do you think about that? Um, I mean, I like the move. Um, a lot of investors in the market seems to just kind of feel this way. There's kind of a mixed bag here. On one, a lot of people see this as increased unnecessary risk, kind of the way when they they announced the Square installments platform, where they were getting into consumer lending for the first time. Getting into to being an actual bank, a lot of people see as kind of opening the door to a lot of unnecessary risk. On the other hand, it also opens the door to a lot of growth potential. Um, initially, I know they just kind of want to make um, 
business small business loans just like they've been doing through Square Capital, um, just kind of cutting out the middleman, which will save them some money. But this is also the avenue to get into real like you know per, the personal lending space and to do the Square installments without a you know a middleman. So it does add a little bit of an element of risk, but it also adds a lot of reward potential. So I'm all I'm all for cutting a company's costs, especially when they're still trying to become profitable. So this is a way to increase the Square Capital's margins um, and to open the door to a whole lot more growth in the future. So I'm for it. Um, it definitely does add a bit of risk, but I think it's well justified. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I, I, I it gives it gives them more opportunities uh, in the future. It's certainly in line with the square capital side of the business, and it's not unheard of for uh, this to happen. I mean, American Express back during the days of the financial crisis uh, became a bank holding company as well, right? I mean, that was a little bit of a different situation, uh, but but I mean, it was still ultimately um, they pulled it off quite nicely. So. Um, yeah, I, I I agree with you. I'm thinking I'm, I'm for it too. Um, now, one other tweet here we got the other day, and and I actually thought this would be instead of replying on Twitter, I really uh, thought this would be a great one to bring over to the show here. It's from at Andy Wolfarth, and Andy asks Berkshire Hathaway A and B shares are the largest holdings of Markel. If I want to pick up just one of these at this opportune time, does it make sense to just get Markel? And this, you know, I think you and I both have a couple of uh, thoughts on this one, Matt. But what what's your first uh, what's your first impression here? Berkshire Hathaway, Markel, own one or the other or both? It just kind of depends on your your risk tolerance and what you're looking for. Um, I don't think you would go wrong with either of them. Uh, Berkshire is by far the bigger, more established business, and is designed to just steadily increase its intrinsic value over time and produce market beating returns over long periods of time. Markel is kind of a is the younger of the two, definitely more specialized, much more of an insurance play than Berkshire is at this point and has a lot more growth potential. So Markel would be kind of the one for investors with long time horizons. I mean, I'm planning on holding my shares for a few more decades to <laughs> kind of let the let the growth story play out. Um, I'd be comfortable holding Berkshire for five years, whereas Markel I'd want to hold for 20, 30 years. Yeah. So depending on your time horizon and risk tolerance, I'd say that's kind of what dictates your decision. Lately, I've bought more Markel than Berkshire, so there you have it. Yeah, um, I'm. I'm glad you mentioned that time horizon there. The five years versus you know a few decades. Uh, speaking from personal experience here, earlier this year, I actually I had a I had a modest Berkshire Hathaway position, the B shares that I'd held for a number of years. I mean, uh, and the stock had done very well for me, and, and it was one of those ones that I could just sort of ignore and I knew it was going to be okay. Uh, but earlier in the year, I actually I liquidated that entire Berkshire position, um, and I put those. Proceeds into more Markel, and and I think you really hit the nail on the head there when you talk about the difference between the two companies from a timeline perspective. Now you look at Berkshire Hathaway; it's around a five hundred billion dollar company today, um, or close to it. Markel is is like a thirteen fourteen billion dollar market cap, much much smaller. And as you noted, obviously a lot of a lot of room to run there. Um, still, 
more of a specialty insurance business, but they are growing and expanding and offering more things beyond that. They've rolled in some acquisitions that are working out well. Um, and, and the one thing I've always enjoyed about Markel is that uh, Tom Gaynor, the, the chief investment officer there, is the co-CEO there actually now, he's, he's had a very um, – He's had a little bit more of a propensity to invest in tech. And so you look at their holdings, and yes, Berkshire Hathaway is a big holding in the portfolio, but they also own Apple, they own Alphabet, they own Amazon, some of those companies that that Buffett has steered away from for a while because he felt like he didn't really have an edge there. Activision Blizzard. I mean, these are all companies that are in uh, in Markel's portfolio today. And um, and I and I think that yeah, Markel is one that I'm going to plan on holding for the next probably 30 years. So I'm really uh, happy to continue owning those shares. It was it was less a knock on Berkshire and more about the opportunity that Markel in in his uh, Andy noted in his tweet. You own Markel shares, you are getting uh, some some good Berkshire Hathaway exposure through their investment portfolio as well. Uh, so Andy, hope that was helpful. Okay, Matt, let's wrap this thing up here. We've got one to watch, and as always, we're talking about one to watch for the coming week. Uh, we thought it'd be fun this week because of the date here. We're getting ready to roll into 2019. Let's see if we have one to watch here for our members and listeners in 2019. Uh, stock that you feel like is poised to, to have a good to, uh, 2019. What is your one to watch for the coming year? Um, mine is Square, and not just because you said that Apple's going to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Square could have a great year. If you remember, Square hit a hundred dollars a share this year, which is about yeah. about double where it is right now. Um, and the reason is because not only has Square been growing at a crazy rate, but it's the growth has been actually accelerating, which is really kind of great, being how company how big the company is getting. So I think if Square's earnings continue to ex- or not earnings, if Square's revenue continues to accelerate. Over the year, regardless of whether or not the company's profitable, I think we could see it easily double from the current levels and regain a three three figure price tag. I think that's a that's a reasonable uh, that's a reasonable prediction there, man. I think I'm going to hang on to my shares. Um, uh, a lot of a lot of good thoughts there. I am going to go with um, a company listeners have probably heard on this show a couple of times before, Ameris Bancorp. Uh, Ameris is just a little bank down in Southwest Georgia, headquartered out of out of uh, well, headquartered I think actually technically out of Jacksonville, Florida now, but but its roots are in Moultrie, Georgia, um, and it's it's a bank I've covered for the better part of about eight or eight or so years now. And Ameris it flew under the radar here recently, but Ameris it announced a big acquisition. I mean, this is such a big acquisition; it's kind of more like a merger. Uh, but they're going to be acquiring Fidelity Bank. Um, of Atlanta and bringing this uh, Fidelity Bank into the Ameris family. It's about a $750 million deal. And when you put that in context of Ameris's $1.5 billion market cap, you can see it is a big acquisition. They made the announcement. And of course, as is often the case, the market sold off shares of Ameris, uh, basically saying, hey, the burden of proof is on you now to justify this acquisition and tell us, uh, prove that it makes sense. Uh, now, I, I think that it does make sense. And, and Ameris Bancorp has a good track record of, of acquiring and bringing in uh, smaller banks to their family and growing that business um, all the way back to the financial crisis when the FDIC saw them as a healthy partner to, to help them sort of wrap up some of those failed institutions. And, uh, and, and consequently, Ameris has grown considerably since then. Not just the market cap of the company, but its its total asset base, uh, deposit base, and and really this deal, um, it is it is going to give them an attractive 
a total asset base of over $16 billion. They're going to grow their deposit base to over $13 billion. And it's also worth noting that the additional deposits they're bringing in from this Fidelity acquisition, they're a lower cost deposit base, about 25% lower cost deposit base. And really, that's what banks do, is they take that deposit base and they invest it a lot of different ways. And Ameris has a good track record of doing that. So, I think that the sell-off in shares, while understandable, I think it's it's short-sighted. I think if you can look at this bank and think about owning one for the next uh, you know, five years, I mean, this is going to be a really attractive uh, uh, risk-reward scenario here. And, and to be clear, I own shares. Uh, and I, I did buy a few more shares after the announcement of this acquisition, because I really think uh, there's a lot to like here. So, uh, Ticker for Square, uh, SQ, ticker for uh, Ameris Bank Corp, ABCB. Uh, for the listeners out there, keep an eye on these for 2019. And Matt, we will revisit them periodically throughout 2019 to let our listeners know exactly how they're doing, right? Absolutely. I'm sure you'll hear us talk about both of those several times. All right, man. Well, Matt, listen, I, I tell you, I've, I've had a great year here with you on the show. I appreciate everything that you've done for me and for our listeners. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to what the new year has to bring us. Absolutely. 2019 is going to be our best year yet. All right, folks. Well, as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This final show of 2018 is produced by our guy Dan Boyd behind the glass. Dan, thanks for coming in today. Have a great 2019. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next year.